Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your NXT No Mercy instant analysis. That's right. Getting over is back once again for episode 501 of this damn podcast to break down everything that happened Saturday night on NXT No Mercy, the brand's latest premium live event. We are going to break down every individual match. We are going to give you our analysis, some grades for that match. And of course, we will wrap up with our final grade for NXT No Mercy before we get out of here and move on with our night. Let's get started as we always do here on Getting Over with a reminder that this podcast is all about So please remember to visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You also, if you follow us on Twitter, get to vote in pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events and pay-per-views. And your votes, your opinions factor into our instant analysis podcast, especially when we wrap up the shows at the end. I also take tweets and DMs uh, during these major shows, and we love to read them on the air when we have time. Unfortunately, tonight, crazy busy for the Silver King. Don't have time to read a lot of your tweets and DMs, but I did view them. Don't worry. So I'm cognizant of what you guys thought about the show. And I will try to factor some of that in and respond to some of that over the course of this episode. A quick reminder about our schedule. Please, if you have not listened to it yet, hit our 500th episode celebration, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the American Dragon Brian Danielson. A 30-minute interview ahead of AEW WrestleDream, obviously coming this Sunday, episode 499. You go back a little bit further. It was your NXT No Mercy Ultimate Preview. It is also your AEW WrestleDream Ultimate Preview. So make sure you listen to that before Sunday's show. And of course, still to come on Sunday night, you will have AEW WrestleDream Instant Analysis. And then on Tuesday, your WWE Fastlane ultimate preview. So every reason in the world to subscribe if you have not already and go back in the archives in case you missed some of the episodes that we have already done. Let's not waste any further time off the top. Let's get into this NXT No Mercy instant analysis. Normally, this is the part of the show where I would crack a cold one and then welcome Vintage into the program. He didn't get the opportunity to watch NXT on Saturday night, and I can't drink a cold one because I have to talk to you throughout this entire podcast. So I'm going to save it in the refrigerator. We'll see if it comes out tomorrow for AEW Wrestle Dream. If not, I have a couple great ones that I want to share with you next week for WWE Fastlane. As I said, NXT, no mercy, instant analysis. We're going to break down every match with analysis and grades and then give you a final show grade at the end. We will start with where NXT, no mercy finished. The women's championship, Becky Lynch against Tiffany Stratton in an extreme rules match. There was a really fun moment backstage with Lynch wheeling around a shopping cart, adding weapons like she was in Target or something like that. Becky got a video package entrance that flashed all of her obstacles in NXT. Tiffany had brass knuckles with her while Becky wheeled out the cart that I was talking about. She also wore a white tank top that had a lot of important things written on it. Had names, gimmicks, Bray Wyatt, other stuff. 
Uh, Lynch beat Stratton with a kendo stick early, brought her up the stairs through the crowd. She took a plastic gold necklace from a planted fan and beat Stratton with it. There were a ton of little girls up and down the aisle, not on purpose. I don't think they were planted, but it was so cool seeing them cheer for her and like scream Becky. She high-fived one of them. It was an awesome sight. Uh, Stratton pulled out a toolbox back in the ring and beat Lynch with a wrench, a tire iron, and a steel chain. Lynch folded her in the shopping cart, ran her into the steel steps, then dumped out a bag of broken Barbie dolls, basically like they were thumbtacks. She hit an inverted DDT into them. Then she threw the dolls at Tiffany, who was outside the ring. So Stratton grabbed a trash can lid and blocked them like she was Captain America using a shield or something like that. Half the dolls went into the crowd. One hit someone in the head. So that was pretty funny. Uh, what Lynch did was she ended up wrapping a trash can around Stratton for a draping leg drop. Then she took a spine buster Becky did into that same trash can. Stratton loaded the ring with steel chairs, but Lynch countered a powerbomb into a slam only for Stratton to counter an arm bar by rolling out of the ring and struggling, but eventually lifting Becky into a powerbomb onto the steel steps. Lynch hit a Bexploder into the barricade and then hid under the ring, blinding Stratton with a fire extinguisher. She pulled out a fake barbed wire bat and got one shot with it. Then the spot of the match came with Stratton doing the back handspring elbow at ringside. But when she connected, she blasted Lynch right through the barricade. It totally collapsed. Becky ran Tiffy into the post. Stratton countered manhandle slam on the announce table. She pushed Lynch backwards off the table into a desk chair, then ran off the table and hit a somersault right onto her. Then she put Becky on a regular table, climbed to the top rope, and hit a swanton bomb that bent but didn't break the table outside. She hit a second beautiful swanton inside for a false finish. Stratton missed but rolled through a moonsault outside. Lynch immediately caught her when she stood up for manhandle slam at ringside, rolled her into the ring for a false finish. Stratton hit her forward senton onto the steel chairs, but Becky avoided prettiest moonsault ever with Tiffy landing on the chairs. Lynch immediately grabbed her, picked her up, hit manhandle slam onto the chairs to retain the title. And I didn't see when the match exactly started. I don't actually do a timer. I just look at the time on my clock to try to tell you how long it was. But this was approximately 20 minutes uh, total runtime for this match. Exceptional finish, okay? The perfect protection for Stratton. Lynch looked like an absolute G, taking all of that punishment and still coming out on top. It was abundantly clear in their first match. We talked about it then, but even more so here, that Tiffany Stratton has it. Comparing the two, the first match had the commercials, but better wrestling. This was far more intense, but it did feel to me like an overuse of weapons for a couple of women who really didn't need them. Now, my personal preference was to see them go at it in the ring. And that's why the extended like Barbie doll sequence, for example, was frustrating to me. That said, Lynch remains unmatched in Extreme Rules. She's so great with weapons in this overall style. And obviously I maintain what I said this week or last week about Becky. She is in a class of her own right now. She is a modern day legend. What a treat to have her on this NXT show. Regarding Tiffany, she is in that upper crust of homegrown women's prospects right now. You're talking Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Tiffany Stratton. I know Ripley fought a little bit um, in Australia, but still, I mean, she's, her development came entirely in WWE. It's honestly incredible what Stratton has accomplished two years of actual wrestling in terms of working in NXT and being on television. My knock on her remains 
the upper body strength, or maybe it's the core strength. It failed her again here with the powerbomb spot, just like it did at the last PLE with the Boston Crab. Now, I'm going to rewatch this match, but it's an A. Starting at 4.25 stars as of now, I might give it another quarter. I won't put it in A-plus territory, but it's really tough to ask for more than what we got here. It was just a blast from bell to bell, and I want everyone to consider this, okay? So Becky Lynch had these two great matches with Tiffany Stratton on their own. That would be incredible. But inside of the last month, maybe it's five or six weeks at most, she's had these two Stratton matches, the Trish Stratus cage match, and the Zoe Stark Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw. That's ridiculous. That's probably the best wrestling stretch of Becky's entire career. She deserves a ton of credit for it. She's the best women's wrestler in the world as far as I'm concerned. I know it's a different style over in stardom and people have their preferences. I get it. I need the promos. I need the entertainment. I need the total package. Becky Lynch for me is the best women's wrestler in the world. And I'm of the belief, as I've said before, she's the greatest of all time. And it's the matches like these and moments like these only further prove that out, especially when we're talking about North American women's wrestlers. I understand, like, obviously, Asuka is incredible. EO Sky has an opportunity. There's women right now in stardom that are fantastic and have been previously. But when you're looking at, like, American wrestling and what a women's wrestler can do to not be thought of as a women's wrestler, I don't think of Becky Lynch as a women's wrestler, other than the fact that she only fights women, except for those very rare occasions. So incredible match. You guys know my praise for Becky. I don't need to keep going on about it. Loved it. A match. 1000%. Make sure you watch it if you're listening to the show and trying to decide what to or what to not watch coming out of NXT No Mercy. I should also mention, by the way, Tegan Knox was in the crowd for this match and she will be getting a title shot Monday on Raw. So 48 hours from now, Becky has to fight, which in kayfabe, obviously, she should be weakened coming out of this. Now, let's go to the North American Championship match next. Dominic Mysterio defending against Trick Williams with Dragon Lee as the special guest referee. Trick and Carmelo Hayes cut a promo together on the kickoff show with Melo specifically putting over Trick. Booker T was again incredible during Trick's entrance. Dom came out by himself and argued about officiating immediately. He had a 619 to the back of Williams' neck before accidentally super kicking Dragon as Trick ducked the move. Williams hit trouble in paradise. Mysterio then ran into a replacement referee, also accidentally. He missed a frog splash with no one to count. So he picked up Dragon, ducked a title shot from Dom, and hit the pump knee into the title with Dragon counting a legit one, two, three in nine minutes. Now look, the moment was awesome. Huge pop from the crowd for Trick. And a huge moment, no question. As we said on the Ultimate Preview, it really did seem like Mustafa Ali was in line to win the title here. So Trick is obviously the pivot from that. The way I understand it is Ali was kind of on the brink of maybe, maybe not getting released. They asked him if he still wanted his release, which he requested multiple times. He said yes. They gave it to him. It does seem like he was in line to get the title here. That is a massive disappointment. And Shawn Michaels actually during the NXT uh, conference call before this show, he expressed uh, the disappointment that Ali was not there, did not get the opportunity to be in this match. It would have been his first title in WWE. Anyway, the way Trick got built into this spot on Tuesday made it no surprise that the title was changing here. And as much as I was thrilled for Trick, and as great as the crowd was from a reaction standpoint, 
the match was not as great as I thought it was going to be. Trick and Dom did perfectly well, but the chemistry really wasn't there. My biggest problem was the super kick spot. Dragon Lee is a wrestler. He's not a referee. And he gets knocked out cold for like five minutes because he got super kicked and he happened to be wearing a striped shirt. Like what would have been much better booking is for Dragon to recover from the super kick after 60, 90 seconds. Then like the guys are running the ropes and Dom bumps into him, knocks him off the ring apron. His head hits the table and now he's knocked out longer. And eventually as the finish transpires, Trick goes out, gets him, revives him, and you do the exact same finish. Basically, there was no reason whatsoever for the second referee to pop in. It should have been all Dragon Lee. And again, you give him two situations where he gets knocked, which explains why he's out for so long. So I went 3.25 stars and a B for this match. Just a bit too clunky, and Trick really did not hit the finisher clean enough. He did Tuesday on NXT, didn't hear, and the title was involved. So it just looked like a whiff, and that was one of a couple times that happened on the show. And as I've said before, he needs a different finisher utilizing his size and power. This finisher does not make sense for a guy with his size and athletic ability. But this was a fun match overall. I should also note, we have frequently on this podcast talked about the diversity in NXT and how it is so notable compared to other rosters in wrestling. Not just who's on the roster, but who is pushed, who are given titles and put in positions of prominence. Trick is the eighth black man to be North American champion. That's more than 50% of the title holders. In fact, out of 15 North American champions, all but three are what one would consider diverse, at least conventionally. I think that's great to see, and it's it, it shouldn't matter, but that inclusion aspect is one of the reasons why NXT is such an attractive product. I love to see it here. Congratulations to Trick, notwithstanding any of that. But in addition to it, I don't know. It's something that I noticed and I thought was pretty cool. So I figured I'd, I'd point it out. Uh, Mello was prepping for his match backstage. Trick walked in with the title. Mello didn't know the result because he had his head down. He popped huge for him. They promised a party after Hayes retained. And the foreboding here was so damn thick, you needed a knife to cut through it. So let's go to the NXT Championship match. Carmelo Hayes against Ilya Dragunov. Melo voiced over his own jersey entrance, which did not hit the same as when Trick does it. Ilya dominated at the bell for a long time. He had a massive discus lariat after avoiding a springboard move. After taking a beating, Melo matched the intensity and hit a great midair in Zaguri plus a springboard bulldog. He was trying for the DDT, but he was on the wrong side of his body. Moved into a bulldog and it worked. Melo countered Constantine special with a tornado style bulldog. Dragunov came back with a huge running knee and a toss powerbomb. Melo countered coast to coast with a codebreaker. Ilya caught that, countering it into a Death Valley driver, driving Melo into the corner. Then he came back with coast to coast for a false finish. Ilya also came back with an outside inside vertical suplex. Mello countered Torpedo Moscow with a codebreaker, only for Dragunov to bounce off the ropes and fall forward with his H-bomb driving forearm for a false finish. Ilya followed with a second rope H-bomb for another false finish. That sent him into a total rage. Mello countered Torpedo Moscow again, this time with a super kick, and he got a near fall out of that. Then he took Ilya off the apron with a slightly botched cutter outside. Ilya countered nothing but net with a midair clothesline, screaming in pain as he climbed up 
to the top rope and hit a super H-bomb to pin Mello and win the NXT title in 21 minutes. Ilya lifted Mello after the bell, screamed in his face, like, you need to stand up. He offered his hand. They shook, did a big bro hug. He continued yelling in his face, basically establishing, you stepped up to the plate. You were as tough as I was. You gave me the fight I wanted. And then while he was celebrating with the title, Dragunov even pointed to Mello for an extended period of time. What an effing match. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times by now. Dragunov is a top five wrestler in the world, and I don't think he's five, okay? Every single thing he does is believable and feels completely real. The emotion that he expresses and the pain that he seems to inflict, you feel it through your screen. These guys straight banged. The only miscue was that cutter I mentioned. This match did start slow. That was intentional. They wanted to set the tone of Mello having his toughest test yet at the jump. And then they also wanted to show us that he was able to completely step up to the challenge. The way Ilya put Mello over after the bell, appropriate and necessary, especially given the reign ended at 182 days. It's actually the second longest reign since Finn Balor during the pandemic. But I guess because Braun Breaker had the title for so long, it somehow felt as if this was just getting started. Anyway, the match was on point from a story perspective. The wrestling was top tier. I'd have booked a slightly stronger finish. Torpedo Moscow preceding the Super H-bomb. That would explain the delayed climb of the ropes and truly sell the devastation of it, especially since Melo countered Torpedo Moscow twice in the match and Dragunov never actually hit it. But that's a matter of taste and... You could say, Silver King, you're nitpicking. The mat. The finish we got was great. And sure, your finish maybe was just as good, but it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I totally accept that if that's your take. Anyway, 4.75 stars, A plus, match of the night. Eons better than anything else on the show other than the main event. Becky and Tiffany, obviously great in its own right, as I said earlier. Regarding the mellow and trick deal, once we saw them celebrate with the titles, it was crystal clear that Mello was losing. I'm glad we got the moment, but it did stand as a dead giveaway for me just as an experienced wrestling viewer. And I'm sure those of you who have watched wrestling for a long time thought the exact same thing. Mello becoming jealous of Trick leading to them fighting, but ultimately staying together, fingers crossed, that would make the most sense. And we definitely got an inkling of that because as NXT went off the air, Mello apologized to Trick for not getting the job done. They wanted to ride together. Williams consoled him, hugged him. He said Hayes was still him. As this was going on, though, Mello twice briefly looked at the North American Championship on Trick's shoulder, and while they were hugging, he slapped it a couple times. Clear foreshadowing there. Don't forget, even though the NXT Championship is the biggest title in the company, Mello, during his North American title reign, called it the A Championship. So for him, it's not necessarily that much of a step down. Now, this match to me, for those asking, it did not feel like a call-up moment. The question is going to be when Trick and Mello fight, how it's booked, and then what it means for their relationship. If Trick beats him clean, then that could be the call-up moment. Because if that happens, unless Mello just completely turns heel on him, I don't know where else he would go. It wouldn't make sense for him to lose to a guy who's been his second for the better part of, what, two, three years at this point. I just don't think WWE needs Mello on the main roster today 
unless they're going to slow build him as part of a faction or something like that. Plus, the move really should be Mello and Trick going up together whenever that happens. They're the perfect pair. We've talked Shawn Michaels and Diesel before. You can make other comparisons. Mello going up on his own, he will succeed. Trick eventually going up on his own, he will succeed. Them riding together, getting called up on the main roster, the Trick Mello gang, all the stuff they have going on together, that is the most attractive version of both of them. And I hope that WWE, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels are all smart enough to understand that. You know, before we move on, I was just thinking about something that I wanted to throw out there. So given how violent this match was with Mello and uh, Ilya, it was almost like NXT gave us a play on that Oppenheimer-Barbie double feature that people saw over the summer. Not exactly, obviously. The women's match was Extreme Rules. They beat the shit out of each other. But obviously, the Barbie character was there. And then you have a guy here whose finisher is the H-bomb. I don't know. It just kind of worked together for me as far as I was concerned. Let's next move to where NXT started the show. That was Baron Corbin against Braun Breaker. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beat's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. So Breaker attacked Corbin with a topic on hero over the ropes to knock him down. After an American badass style motorcycle uh, entrance, they immediately fought into the crowd and then back to ringside where Corbin missed a move off a pre-set up like steel steps next to the announce table. Breaker then beat up two security guards before the bell even rang. Braun hit a gut buster avalanche Frankensteiner and his press power slam for a near fall. Running outside, Breaker was caught by Corbin for basically an almighty spine buster fully through the announce table. He somewhat no-sold it, sitting up seconds later like The Undertaker. He did that on the roof of the SUV during NXT on Tuesday night. I don't know if you guys saw that, but I had mentioned it previously. So he just kind of repeated that spot here. Suddenly, Mr. Stone flew in from out of nowhere. Braun caught him, threw him into five security guards at ringside. Then Braun turned around. Corbin immediately caught him distracted with end of days for the win in nine minutes. That's the bell-to-bell portion. It was longer, obviously, the pre-match stuff. For a second, I was really excited about the prospect of Corbin and Stone teaming up. And then I obviously remembered Stone just did it for Von Wagner. Extremely smart booking to have the main roster star in need of victories win while completely protecting Breaker and setting up the confrontation and continuation with Von Wagner. This was an electric match, more so than I expected. I discussed on the Ultimate Preview how I felt like it needed to be no DQ or some type of similar stipulation, just given the build with all the brawls and stuff. They interestingly figured out a way to include all of that in the match while keeping it legal and allowing it to go you know, inside the ring bell to bell without a disqualification. I was not overly fond of Braun no selling the table spot. It was kind of ridiculous. Look, it's one thing to do it on the roof of the SUV in the middle of a brawl. It's one thing to do it if you're a character whose nickname is the dead man. Announce table moves can end matches or directly lead to finishes. For Braun to shrug it off like 15 seconds after taking the move, it just really didn't work for me, even if the visual of it was cool, which it was. So yeah, look, this banged, no doubt. I went 3.75 stars in a B plus, and it was Corbin's best singles match in a long, long time. He's way better as this Hoss type of fighter than what he was doing previously. I should also mention on the beef scale, it does get four slabs of beef. Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want. 
The NXT Tag Team Championship was on the line. D'Angelo Family against Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. Uh, Creed Brothers and Out the Mud. Uh, Carrillo and Garza had a banger new theme. OTM rode some lowrider bikes to the ring given they were in California. They all brawled at the beginning with Julius Creed hitting a nice Escalera tope outside. Tony D'Angelo's knee gave out minutes into the match. Carrillo and Garza combined for an awesome gory setup pendulum flip over cutter over the ropes. I think I described that right. Uh, Ivy Nile booted scripts off the steel steps. The Creeds then wrecked shit with Julius hitting a ton of Northern Light suplexes as Brutus had Garza in an ankle lock until Carrillo made the save. Tony fought his way back to the ring limping. He had a huge brace on his knee. Uh, Stax was getting beat down at this time. He tagged in and caught Carrillo flying in the air for a spike spinebuster, which, I mean, it looked like it was Goldberg, legit. It was the same type of spinebuster, really sick spot. Then all the faces hit four stereo superplexes into the ring with the referee perfectly placed in between all of them. Now, obviously, anyone who listens to the show knows a little bit too choreographed for me, but the visual on it was incredible. I hope they got a really nice picture. D'Angelo kicked out of OTM's assisted power slam finisher. There was a Brutus bomb outside into the previously named Los Lotharios. Then the D'Angelo family hit bada boom, bada bing on Lucian Price to get the win in about 12 minutes. This completely exceeded expectations, particularly with OTM being as green as they are. And the D'Angelo's not necessarily being ring generals. That's probably the nice way to put it. Obviously, Carrillo and Garza were the most impressive. Obviously, the Creeds were the MVPs. But all four teams were pretty awesome. And this was paced in a way where it legitimately felt like we got 20 minutes of action in this really short window. My only bother was some inconsistent tagging, but that is far more acceptable in a four-way match where the referee should actually struggle to keep order rather than two-on-two matches where the tagging just doesn't matter. This gets the same grade as the match I just gave before it. 3.75 stars and a B plus, only because the finish lacked a bit of punch this had gone another five minutes, the stronger finish, maybe a title change. It definitely would have been an A territory, A minus territory, no question. Uh, the Heritage Cup was on the line. Noam Dar against Butch. Tyler Bate was Butch's second while all of Metaphor was with Dar. Butch was also wearing his old style bruiserweight gear. Butch dominated the first round with joint manipulation, but ate a cheap shot at the bell. He hit 19 beats in round two, but ate a cheap shot from Oro Mensa with the referee distracted. Dar then got the first fall after a Nova roller immediately following that. Butch came back with a moonsault outside and bitter end inside to tie it 1-1 after round three. They exchanged mat-based submissions in round four. Butch completely knocked out Dar as time ticked away. The referee, for some reason, decided not to lift his arm and see if he might be knocked out, but they did a pretty good job timing the pass out with the end of the clock. Dar caught Butch with a snug back elbow for a false finish. Fans chanted Bruiserweight. That was music to my ears. You guys know that. Dar uh, wrecked Butch with a brain buster on the apron for a 2.9 false finish. Dar then stuck his fingers out. Butch grabbed them as time ticked away. Seemingly broke one after the bell. Lash Legend jumped in the ring, taped up the fingers like she was part of a pit crew. Butch ate two more back elbows with Mensa booting him in the back of the head again. For some reason, the referee was turned here. Dar then caught him blind then pulled out his mouthpiece and hit the Nova roller, but that was a false finish. Bate jumped off the steps to take out Mensa to try to even the sides. Butch then for Bate hit Bop and Bang and Tyler Driver 97. That was a false finish. Dar countered Bitter End into a grapevine knee bar, but Butch countered and snapped his fingers again, hitting Bitter End in another false finish. 
He immediately moved into an armbar and bent Dar's hand back. As Gallus attacked Bate at ringside, Butch released and splashed them. The metaphor women distracted. Coffee completely missed. Joe Coffee, this is. The all the best for the Bells finish. He ran into the ring, tried to do the move, missed it. And then Dar just covered Butch to retain the Heritage Cup. And yeah. Well, that was a great matchup, but the ending sucked. Simple as that. Coffee tripping on his way into the ring and air mailing his finish really soured me on the match. Even more than all the other interferences and distractions, which happened constantly, but especially late in the match. Even without that from Coffee, there were enough people ringside where the idea, and Vic Joseph stated this, that it took seven people to beat Butch. It's just silly, especially because there was no benefit to the booking and Bate was there ringside the entire time, but decided not to get involved until round six. So what do they do here? Butch and Bate fight the metaphor men in a tag team match and they win, let's say. And then what? Butch goes back to the main roster. It really felt like Butch should have won the cup here, even if it was not my expectation going in. The way the match was progressing, they were trying to build up to that moment, that climax where the fans, after all these false finishes and all this stuff, they get to celebrate. And instead, they didn't just cheat with metaphor. They used Gallus. Gallus are like a bunch of Colin Robinsons in one group. They're energy vampires. They bring the show down. And I don't hate them by any means. I like tough Scottish, British, Irish wrestlers. I mean, there's so many of them in WWE and in other companies. And these guys are pretty good at that form of wrestling. But it's a square peg, round hole situation. No, this is not NXT 2.0. At the same time, they really don't fit what this show is. And injecting them into a match like this that was rolling so freaking hot, it was a huge disappointment. So look, 3.5 stars and a B. There was a lot of high quality wrestling in this match. It just kept getting overshadowed by storytelling elements. And this more than anything else, look, we praise Shawn Michaels on this show. I think he has a legitimate shot to be Booker of the Year at the Meaties, the Getting Over Year End Awards in December. I, I will make a case for Shawn Michaels to win Booker of the Year. But there, he does things like this, and he does it too frequently on premium live events that are really frustrating. So this was, despite the match being good and entertaining, easily the most disappointing finish on the entire show. We also had Kalani Jordan against Blair Davenport in a kickoff show match, unexpected. Jordan hit the tornado-style cutter in a really nice spot. She also had a handspring back elbow and a knee-hooking spike of some kind. Davenport got knees up on a Rob Van Dam-style split-leg moonsault, then hit a flying double stomp plus a somewhat botched Mission Noku driver-style move for the win in six minutes. If I can't tell what your move is, not that I know every wrestling move, but if I can't tell, you probably botched it in some way. Uh, Gigi Dolan attacked immediately after the bell until she was pulled off. I, I was massively impressed with Kalani here. Granted, you know, Blair, Blair carried her, as one would expect, but for someone who has been wrestling for seven months to perform the way she did in front of this many people, it was impressive. This may be slightly generous, but I'm saying 2.5 stars and to see, I just thought it was an, an average developmental match. Maybe it's 2.25, but really Kalani, just some of the spark that she provided in there. Again, seven months. What is she going to be like in three years? Huge trajectory pointing upward for her. Good stuff there. There are also a couple storytelling elements on NXT. I'll just talk about these before we get to the final grades. 
Joe Gacy backstage on Tuesday, this is a clip from Tuesday's show, was completely torn apart and down on himself saying all hope was gone after he basically got squashed by Trick Williams. Ava tried to console him, but he yelled back that it wasn't the right family for her and Schism is officially dead. Thank you. You know, if they had killed it like six months ago, maybe grizzled young veterans would still be in WWE. But I digress. I don't think this is leading to Ava joining the bloodline. Trust me, she is far, far too green for that. But it is interesting that Meechin slapped the shit out of Jimmy Uso this Friday on SmackDown. And the bloodline obviously has no one to go back at her. So I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not impossible for her to maybe show up and make a quick appearance or be part of the bloodline. Again, she is way, way, way too green to be on the main roster. I just think it's a pretty interesting coincidence. So I wanted to point that out. There was another vignette with the guy flipping channels on the TV. This time it went longer with multiple WWE shots closing it out. Then we saw a full reflection in the screen, which was even more clearly this time, Brian Pillman Jr. He looked like he had his dad's signature hair, like he's grown his hair out and he's not doing the mullet. It really seemed like they might be going loose cannon 2.0 for him. And if they do that, that's really exciting. NXT deadline was announced with the Iron Survivor Challenge matches. That's going to be December in Connecticut. Also, Halloween Havoc will be a two-night TV special this year on October 24th and October 31st. That's a good amount of space between Havoc and Deadline. That is a huge positive. And they also announced the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament participants, Jakara Jackson, Carmen Petrovic, Lola Vice, Jada Parker, Izzy Dame, I think her name is, Danny Palmer, Kalani Jordan, and Ariana Grace, who's returning from injury. So this is a real breakout tournament. Yeah, a couple of them, obviously Jakara and Lola Vice and Danny Palmer and Kalani, They've been on TV. Ariana had like two weeks on TV. We've seen them, but none of them have really been involved in anything significant. So this is a true breakout tournament. It's going to be really interesting to see the way that transpires. But okay, that is it for NXT No Mercy in terms of the match breakdowns and the analysis. That means it's time to get to our final grades for the show. Now, quickly, before we get to those, let's remind what the pre-show expectation grade was coming in. I actually forget, and I really should have listened back to the ultimate preview, but you all need to understand Saturday is a crazy busy day for me with work. So I forgot what I said, but I'm pretty sure I said A minus on the ultimate preview. That at least sounds right to me. So let's go with that, that my pre-show expectation grade was A minus. The poll was really interesting as it was conducted on Twitter, once again, at Getting Overcast. Hugely positive going in. 40.7% A. 57.6% B, and only 1.7% C, zero Ds or Fs. That averages out to an 89.4 based on the scale I use. So literally, as close as you guys could have come to an A minus or rounding up to an A minus, 89.5 would round up, but not rounded up. So you guys were at a B plus coming in. The Silver King was at an A minus. Let's go ahead and discuss your post-show grade, then I'll go ahead and give you mine. The conclusion of our poll on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, has 83.9% A, 13.9% B, 0.7% C, and somehow 1.5% D or F, which 
you know, who the hell is voting D or F for this show? That doesn't make a shred of sense. That averages out to a 93.02, which is an A, a bottom level A for NXT No Mercy. Now, I got to tell you, I'm pretty close, but I'm not exactly where all of you are. And I love the enthusiasm for NXT with a significant number of votes coming in. So that's fantastic. Here's my issue with going flat A on this show. I think it was immensely top heavy. Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov, match of the night A plus, as I mentioned. Becky Lynch, Tiffany Stratton would have been the match of the night if that didn't exist, but very close and extremely entertaining. I would say almost certainly the best one-two punch to end an NXT premium live event that we've had since the TakeOver days. My problem though is despite those being extremely great, the rest of the show just kind of struggled for different reasons. We talked about the finish of Trick and Dom, even though the booking there was right. Williams going over, got the big pop. That's hugely positive. Match wasn't actually that great. The tag team match, it was a lot of excitement, but you know, not the strongest match, certainly not the strongest finish. Also pretty short. A lot of these matches were short, by the way. Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker, along with Dom and Trick, both of them were nine minutes. Corbin and Breaker was fantastic. A lot of excitement, a great opener, but it wasn't even an A match, at least for me, A or A minus. Then I have the Heritage Cup, and you guys know I was clearly disappointed with that, even if a lot of the in-ring quality was solid in the kickoff show match as well. Now look, when I do my post-show grades like this, it's not just match quality added together. It's storytelling and all those types of elements. And like I said, I think a lot of this show hit really damn hard. But to give it a straight A, even at a 93, I mean, you have to hit a really high level of overall show quality, top to bottom, not just your co-main events. To get there, for me, I'm not there, but I am legitimately close. I was at a 92 out of 100, so a top level A minus. I believe on the Ultimate Preview, I said a 90 out of 100, so this actually did exceed my expectations, but still, I cannot get to the A like all of you. But again, as someone who watches NXT every week and suggests people watch NXT every week, I'm thrilled that so many people thought this show was that good. Because look, this show was certainly better than a normal weekly TV uh, edition of NXT. That said, if you liked the elements of this show, then you absolutely would like the television program. This is also the third straight banger premium live event that NXT had put on. Definitely take over caliber. It really was carried by the double main event in the opener. Like I said, the middle of the show left something to be desired from a match quality standpoint, but everything basically did what it was supposed to do. And the influx of main roster talent, I believe every single match had at least one superstar who had a match on WWE TV or as part of the main roster. That experience, that level of talent that's what we were missing in that NXT 2.0 era. It feels like a really interesting mixture of late NXT 2.0 and early NXT black and gold. And putting that together is just a product that is made for the Silver King. So I'm loving NXT. I love what Shawn Michaels is doing here, obviously. And I had a blast watching this on Saturday night. I'm glad to hear many of you did as well. If you're listening to this show, trying to decide whether to watch uh, NXT No Mercy, then here's my opinion. Number one, definitely watch it. Uh, certainly, 
Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin, Ilya Dragunov and Carmelo Hayes, Becky Lynch and Tiffany Stratton. Those are all no-brainers. If you want to throw one more in, I'd watch the... Well, here's the thing. The matches aren't long, so there's really not a reason not to watch them. So I would also watch the North American Championship match and the Tag Team Championship match. But if you watch those, you can pretty much skip the rest, which is two other matches, I guess, and be pretty happy coming out of it. So look, folks, that was the instant analysis for NXT No Mercy. Let me throw some reminders at you again. We do have an AEW WrestleDream instant analysis coming in this exact spot on Sunday evening. You don't want to miss that. If you are not prepped for AEW WrestleDream, be sure to listen to our Ultimate Preview Podcast, which was episode 499 in our feed. There's a timestamp there. You can jump right to the Ultimate Preview and skip everything else. Please consider that, obviously. Also, do not miss episode 500 of Getting Over. The Silver King and Vintage sat down for 30 minutes with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. It's been picked up from a ton of media. You guys have been tweeting us and praising it. I love it. I'm going to bury Horowitz myself. It was a great interview, if I do say so myself. But the reason the interview was great, of course, was the guest, Brian Danielson. So please listen to episode 500 if you have not yet. And don't forget, we will be back on Tuesday with your WWE Fastlane Ultimate Preview. On that note, let's wrap it up with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about So head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You also get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls for pay-per-views and premium live events. Of course, you can do it for AEW WrestleDream on Sunday and WWE Fastlane next Saturday. Please also remember... I happen to love the number five. For only $5 a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You'll get news posts. You'll get bonus audio. Your financial contributions will help the continuation of this show. Thank you all so much for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It has been quite a week and we are not done yet. So at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.